99% of people fail. Avoid becoming that statistic on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Accounting and bookkeeping mistakes destroy thousands of small businesses every single day. Bookkeeping doesn't have to be hard. Turn to the number one invoicing software for small businesses. Start for free today at servnomaster.com backslash FreshBooks. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. It's kind of amazing to look around me. Most of the people that I started with at each phase of my life, they've fallen to the wayside. I have gone through different phases in my life, and now that I'm in my mid-30s, getting close to entering my late 30s, I can look back and see the people who were there at each phase of my life but didn't make it into the next phase. People who tried to keep up or tried to do what I was doing and never made it to the next level. In life, we go through phases, levels, however you want to talk about it. When I was in college and I got my first job, And they offered me $7 an hour. I was like, whoa, I'm rich now. Because when you're young, $7 an hour seems like so much money. But now, (laughs) almost 20 years later, the thought of trying to take care of my whole family on that, that's tough. That's well below minimum wage now. But we go through phases where the things we think are enough, they stop being enough. And as we get older, we need to make more and more money to take care of our family, take care of our kids, handle all of our needs etc. Our perspective about money changes and the same in other categories in life. For me, I've kind of gone through three main areas of development. There's my personal development, which involved, you know, mastering and learning how to date well enough that I could finally meet my wife and then never have to do it again. So it's one of those skills that you only have to deal with for a while. And then once you actually get good at it, you never use it ever and ever, 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 ever again. Hopefully I will never go on another first date for the rest of my life. So even though I got good at it, it's a skill that you get good at so you don't have to do it anymore. With education, I remember so many people who at each level, and I have a master's, but at each level there were people around me who started there at strong and then didn't make it to the finish line. They quit or they decided not to go to that next level. And as you know, I'm not a huge believer in education, but even when I was in high school, you know, we all saw those people, right, who were great until eighth grade or sixth grade, as we get older, they, for whatever reason, they start screwing around or they end up not making it all the way to the end of high school. And in business, there are people who, in each different industry I've entered, each time I've tried to learn a new skill and the people around me failed. I used to have a guy who was my Amazon buddy. Now, even when I started Amazon, I was making probably 20 or 30 times more than this guy. But he was someone I could talk to every day about my ideas and what I was testing because he was doing okay on Amazon. Both were both put out our first and second books at the same time. We found each other in a Facebook group or something where no one was taking action. So in a group of all these people who bought an Amazon course, only one or two or three of us were ever posting. So we started finally talking to each other. And eventually he quit. And he now works a day job, making minimum wage or less again. He couldn't stay the course and I'm 
I want to break down what happens. Why do people fail today? If we can understand the seven critical reasons that cause people to fail, you can avoid them and you can become someone who succeeds. And the first of those is bad goal setting. Most people set goals really, really poorly. As a culture, we don't set goals well and no one teaches us how. This is another great example of the failure of the American education system because no one really teaches you how to set goals. It's never covered in school in any way, shape, or form. I've never experienced it, even though it's critical, even though it's absolutely the most important thing you could learn in life because it applies to every category. Most people set a goal like this. I want to lose some weight or I want to make more money. And those aren't goals. Those are wishes. We can't separate the two. Unfortunately, a goal is something concrete, specific, and achievable. When you set a goal, you have to set a measure and a time frame. I want to lose 10 pounds in 37 days. That's a goal. The measurement is the 10 pounds and the time frame is 37 days. When we create a goal with a time frame, we can then divide it up by the number of the time frame and have a daily goal. That's how you know. If your goal cannot be divided up, then you have a problem. If it's something that only leads to imaginary numbers, I want to lose some weight. turns into, I don't want to lose some weight every day. Well, how much weight every day? I don't know. I don't really know my goal. The reason we do that is we're hedging our bets. If you say I want to lose 20 pounds and then you don't, you feel bad. But if you never say 20 pounds, you never have to feel bad. So ironically, the ego protection, the what if I fail part of our brain is causing us to fail. So when you set a goal, you have to be very specific. That's why if you read Serve No Master, if you go through a lot of my different blog posts, I always say, how much money do you want to make per month to supplement your income? Write down a number. The number actually doesn't matter. The act of writing it down and having a number that matters. Everyone has a different number. It doesn't matter. At least now you know your number. How much money do you need to make to quit your job? How much money do you need to make to live your dream lifestyle? Those three numbers, write it down. They're not goals. They're half of a goal. And that's okay. Because then we can say, uh, if your goal is, I need to make $1,000 a month. Let's say that's your first number. If you made an extra $1,000 a month, you could really breathe. And instead of getting a little bit behind with your credit cards each month, you get a little bit ahead. Not a crazy goal, but it's a specific number. I like that it's a specific number. And then, as you know, I have my 1K in a month free training on the website. So you could then say, you know what? I'm going to earn $1,000 a month and I want to get to that number in the next 30 days. That means you got to make an extra $30 a day. Really, you got to make an extra like $34 a day, but it gives you a goal that's achievable, something you can chop up and you'll know if you've gotten there. Because you have a number, then you just add a time frame to it and you have yourself a nice goal. When you're setting goals, the more concrete the way you set it, the better. Saying it in your mind, that's okay, but then you want to write it down and put it down somewhere. It could be your notebook, you could write it online. It doesn't matter. As long as you write it down, then it's something you can look at and you know. One of the dangers in life is our poor memories. It's the reason that eyewitnesses are so unreliable. There's 10 eyewitnesses to a crime. They describe 10 totally different people. When you write down your goal, that ensures when you check a month later, you don't forget what your goal was. It's very easy to say you want to lose 20 pounds in the next two months, only lose 10 pounds at the end of the two months, if you haven't written it down, you go, oh, no, I, I wanted to lose 10 pounds. I don't know why I was thinking 20. 10 was my goal. And then you feel good about yourself, but you're also lying to yourself. It's very normal. That's why everyone in America is overweight, including me, okay? The reason I talk about goal setting all the time is because I'm constantly dealing with 
comfortable sitting in my weight area. It's a big part of my life and it's always, always there. Recently, I noticed that my weight started slipping and we've gotten very proactive again. That's how I have to deal with it. I've set some new specific goals and that's the only way to make it happen. If you do anything else, if you are loose with your goals, yeah, you're less likely to feel bad if you don't hit them, but you're also never going to hit them. Number two, second reason that people fail is analysis paralysis. Paralysis by analysis. This is where we get into a stage where we don't want to make a mistake, so we take no action. I don't want to write a book that people hate. I don't want to put a book on Amazon that fails, so I'm not going to put anything up until I've been through 500 courses. The fear of failure, and we'll talk about fear in a moment, it gets us frozen in the state. I have been in a place where I've suffered from analysis paralysis. I had a problem. I wanted to do Facebook advertising for a long time and I kept watching courses and getting stuck. And that's an area where I got stuck. I finally had to start pushing myself and force myself out of that state because it was happening to me. There are a couple of areas of my business right now, actually, that I kind of hesitated for a while to do them because I noticed I was doing this and finally I took action. It's better to do something bad. Like right now I have, please don't look it up. There's a Servant Master app that I did through my podcast hosting company. It's actually terrible. A lot of the way uh, things they do, because they, you know, they say, oh, I'll pay an extra 10 bucks a month, we'll make you an app. I said, fine, you must know how to make a podcast app. Wrong, it sucks. For the way I run my podcast, it doesn't work at all. They don't know how to handle it when I set my podcast comes from my blog. It's only if you host your podcast with them as well, which I don't. So they don't know how to handle it, which means problem for me. It's terrible. So I'm going to I'm gonna try and get them to take it down this week. And I'm working on another path to getting one built. I've already started using an, another platform. These things happen, okay? This isn't a nightmare. No one's murdered me. No one's even seen the app. It's been on, it's been on the iTunes store and the Google Play store for like two weeks because I was messing around. And inter- I've actually been emailing with support seeing if there's a way to fix it. So once you get past the analysis paralysis phase, you can actually take action and fix stuff. Having an app that stinks isn't so bad because no one's seen it. I know now some of you are going to go look. It's not terrible. The problem is it's not updating correctly and it's not attaching the downloads to the podcast episode. So it's not a nightmare, but it's not delivering what I consider to be a perfect experience. And to me, perfect experience is critical. So having uh, dabbled with that, I now have moved on to the next thing. So when we have analysis paralysis, we don't take any action, but you discover when you try something and fail, it's not that bad. And then you can actually do a better version of it. My first book on Amazon failed for a very long time and then it became a massive success two years later. I didn't expect that I'd given up on the book. It happens. When you get into this analysis process, you keep thinking, I don't want to make the wrong decision. Now, there's a difference between a lot of analysis before purchase and a lot of analysis before taking action, which are very different. There's nothing wrong with making a lot of analysis before you make a purchase. About a week and a half, two weeks ago, I put up a new review, my review of pay kickstart, the shopping cart I use. And in fact, the owner of Pay Kickstart, my friend Mark, who is about to do some new custom stuff for me on the platform, read the whole thing the other day. But it's really, really long. It's, I think it's more than 3,000 words. It's really long. My reviews tend to be the longest things I write on the site. And the reason it's so long is because you need every piece of information before you make a buying decision. So if you're about to spend money, a lot of analysis makes sense. But again, people go too far. We all know the dad or we have the friend who knows everything before they make a washing machine decision. They'll spend three or six months choosing the perfect machine. And by the time they're ready to buy, the cycle of machines has changed. That's too long as well. So you could do more analysis before you buy something, but you don't want to go crazy and take forever. 
you do have to eventually make decisions. So if you're thinking about spending money, you can have a little bit of a longer cycle. But if it's action taking, speed to action is way better. It's better to do something mediocre now than something great never. That book that failed for so long on Amazon, I mean, it it, did okay. It made $100 the first month and then it started to make like a dollar a month because I just did everything wrong. It took me two years to release that. I paid someone to write the book. It was my demo book. I paid someone to write it, a lot of money. And then I just let it sit on my hard drive for two years. An idiot. I lost a huge amount of money because of my uh, waiting to do something. I got distracted by other stuff I was working on in my business. And I just let something sit. And I hate that. I don't want to run my business that way. The third reason why people fail is fear. I don't want people to see me fail. Now, fear also often manifests itself as process of analysis, but it's also a little bit bigger. Sometimes we say, I don't want anyone to see me fail. I don't want to experience the disappointment when I look in the mirror of someone who tried and failed to hit the mark. That fear is very powerful. I don't want to look my family in the eyes and say, hey, I spent the last six weeks working on a project and it did not work. We're all afraid of that. And that fear can grow and grow. The thing about fear and worry is that it's always worse than the real thing. The things we're afraid of are so different from reality because once it happens, you go, oh, it's not that bad. When you take speed of action as well, you start doing something and you experience it in one or two weeks that you can really measure quickly. The reason I put together stuff that's about make a dollar fast, I want you to have that first taste in the next 30 days, ideally in the next week. That's critical because that gets you over that fear. As soon as you make a dollar, you go, okay, making money is possible. It goes from the theoretical to the possible, and that's very important. We're also sometimes afraid of success, and I've talked about that in a previous podcast episode as well. We have to deal with fear quickly. The longer you spend thinking about something, the more power it has. When I was in high school, I was like this little mouse scurrying around, always worried about all the possibilities of bad things that could happen. And I read this in a magazine, and I found it fascinating. It said, 90% of the things you worry about never happen. And the person who wrote that, I don't remember if it was based on a study or if it was just something trite, but it's probably one of the best sentences I've read in my life because it altered the course of my destiny. My fear now makes me confident. Every time I'm worried about something, it makes me aware that there's a 90% chance it won't happen. As soon as you worry about something, that fear probably won't happen. I um, realized I'm completely incapable of predicting what will happen. And as a teenager, of course, I first implemented this, trying to date. I only went on a few dates in high school, not very many. I was never that great high school dating guy, but I remember I would call a girl, and this is the age where you had to call house phone to house phone, and I never knew what was going to happen. At a certain point, I started writing down a plan for the phone call because I didn't want it to go wrong. So I'd write down, here's all the possibilities. Here's what I'll do if this happens. And I'd have a little mind map kind of before I mind maps, but it was a little like a flow chart. If her dad answers, here's plan A. If her brother answers, here's plan B. Because I've been through all that. I've been there with her brother answers. I've been there with the dad answers. I've been there with some random guy answers. All these different things. When you got to call the house line, you never know who's going to answer. That's why I've been text now to avoid this experience. But I write down all of my fears and I would write down all these plans and think here's the 10 possibilities of how this can go wrong. And it would always be something I didn't think of. I call and she's at a funeral or yes, that's happened. Or I call and she's in the car and something's going on. And then she's mad at me for calling. She's in the car. How am I going to know someone's in the car or all these random things? Okay. It was always something unexpected. I was never able to predict 
uh, when it would go good or wrong. All my fears were a waste. And that really helped me to realize it's a waste of time worrying about stuff because you never worry about the right things. Oh, I'm worried this will happen. I'm worried I'll, I'll get sick. You worry about that, you worry about that. You never get sick. Instead, you, you fall and you hurt your leg. So the things we worry about, we can't predict accurately, so it's a waste of time. It's one of the many reasons why I don't worry about stuff so much. Sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes I get a little bit of stress about work or other things, which is normal, but it never becomes an overwhelming fear or a fear that forces me into an action. See, people quit, they fail, because the fear begins to take control. I'm not sure this program is real. I don't want to take action. Or sometimes it's the fear of disappointing someone. There are a lot of people that I interact with. Everyone emails me. I email back all the time. I email back a bunch of new people this week. have a bunch of great people messaging me. And people all throughout any tier of my programs, whether you just read one of my books, whether you grabbed a free copy just on the podcast, or whether you bought one of my expensive training courses, people at every area, every level, every of the level of this program or interaction with me, they all at some point kind of go through this moment where life gets in the way or they get distracted by something else and then they're afraid of disappointing me so they quit. It's okay for me if you make mistakes. It's okay for me if you can't finish something on time and something else happens and you end up working on something else. These things don't matter to me. I don't, I'm not disappointed as long as you keep coming back and keep trying. I know that people have real lives. Look, if you got a full-time job, you've already got two kids, you got a lot of stuff just to maintain that lifestyle. I get that. So you work on something for two weeks and then something happens and you come back two weeks later and work on another two weeks. That's okay. I don't want to encourage that and say that that's like the ideal result, but I understand life. I'm not unaware of what it's like to be human. We have these different fears, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of disappointment, fear of whatever. Sometimes we start going through course and then we're afraid that it won't work. So we quit. Now, all my courses work. That's why there's loads of pictures on that people talking about them. And in fact, I'm constantly looking for ways to make it easier for you. I recently did a whole bunch of new podcasts, new blog posts, walking you through the process of making that first K in a month, that first thousand dollars in a month, because I wanted to make it even easier than the previous version. So that's there specifically to make things easier for you, to ensure that it's possible. And I've started getting more emails from people that try it going, wow, it actually works. I actually made some money. That's wonderful. I love that. I love hearing that. So I always want to make it easy as possible for you to overcome that first fear, but it's still there. And that fear causes people to fail all the time. That fear is why people give up. That's why people don't go for the new job or don't start their new business because they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of disappointment. They're afraid of looking like a failure in public. If we can control that failure. It can turn from a, something that slows us down into something that drives us. The fourth reason that most people fail is shiny object syndrome. We've talked about this in the past. It's normal. I'm so guilty of this. I am so guilty of getting excited by so many ideas. Just this week, I realized I have to stop taking on new projects for at least the next six months. I have to stop accepting new stuff. I bought magazine software that I pay for every month, two or three months ago, maybe even four months ago. No, wait, I think I bought it for like a black, a black, a Cyber Monday or Black Friday type deal. So I know now I bought it in November. Three, <laughs> it's been at least three months. That I, three months ago that I bought this software to do magazines because I'd love to put out some digital magazines. I think it's a really big opportunity on Amazon. I think it's a really cool area to move into. I just don't have the time to implement it. I'm still paying this monthly fee and it's there. I have another thing with Amazon Physical where I pay even more than the magazine every month and I haven't had time to really work on it. And uh, the same thing with this app thing. I haven't spent a lot of time on the app. Eventually, I'm probably going to 
try to find someone to just do it, who could just use, I have this app building software that I haven't have to start paying a fee next week for. I, my 30 day trial is almost up. Same thing. So I have a lot of side ideas that sometimes even cost me money that I don't have a lot of time to put in. So I'm just as guilty of this as everyone else. I would love to master every different thing, but it's only when we add in a great deal of focus that we can achieve success. So if you come to my website and you read a couple of blog posts, you go, oh, that's pretty cool. And you go, I wonder if there's other similar people out there. Now, more and more of the competition for what I do has disappeared. When I started this blog, when I started this business, my primary keyword, my central thesis, if you will, was escape the nine to five. It's a cool little phrasing. And if you look it up, there's about uh, 10 or 20 blogs on the topic. Now, I subscribed to all of them until I noticed that 19 of them are dead. <laughs> 19 of the blogs about becoming, and there's other terms for it, about being a digital nomad or traveling the world full time and working from your laptop. Okay, that's kind of the same idea. So these are people who are traveling from country to country and also uh, talking about stuff. So I don't do that part. So I'm actually someone who's traveled to another country. I live in a single place. So I'm not a digital nomad because I'm actually someone who just, it's more of, I guess, a digital expat. I'm not sure. There's not an official term for it that I know of, but digital nomad, nomad is Hampton Night Vibe. Those terms are close to what I do. And I found all these blogs about people who are traveling to Machu Picchu and working there and yada, yada, all these different places and Angkor Wat. And then I realized like 19 of them are gone. 19 of these blogs, they, the blogs still exist, but they haven't written a post in the last year, or one of them writes a post every three months. Great. I try to put up at least five, sometimes 10 posts a week. It's all me by myself. So when someone else is doing one every three months, I know that it's no longer what they're really into. The first guy whose podcasting course I bought, one of the first podcasting courses I went through, he doesn't do a podcast anymore. It's gone. He hasn't done an episode in like a year and a half. Now he's moved into doing something totally different with programming or whatever. He's moved into a different direction. And the podcasting course that I went through isn't even available anymore. But it's tempting to circle back that we get shiny object syndrome. We want to keep jumping from idea to idea to idea. So you could easily come to my blog, go, hey, let's see other skip to nine to five people. And then you go try and find all these other blogs. You start reading these posts from other people without checking the dates. Sometimes there's no dates on blog posts on certain blogs. So at first you don't realize it. You think you're reading fresh stuff, but you're reading stuff from 2013 or 2012. You don't realize this person's been out of business for three years. Their blog is still up. So it's easy to actually get distracted by something that leads nowhere. Now, that's not always the case. You could also go in another direction and go to some passive income blogs, some of the ones that I follow, and you could start reading all of their stuff. And then you look at their post stuff compared to my stuff, and you're like, well, I don't know which one to do. Then you find something else even more interesting because you need to do more research to see who's right and who's wrong. As you keep going down that rabbit hole, you get more and more distracted. I get approached several times a week to promote training courses that are external, that are by other companies, that are, some of them are fine. Now, some of them are absolutely terrible. Some of them I would never recommend because there's just like all hype and no meat. I got approached by someone recently, someone I've been good friends with for a long time, actually, about six months ago with something very interesting. And there's a, I don't want to go into too much detail because it turned out to be garbage, if you ask me. But it was this, there's a, there's a forum, uh, it's like Reddit, but it's like a forum where you post stuff and then people can up and down vote you. And then you make money based on how you get voted in because they use a cryptocurrency thing. The math of it's a little bit confusing to me, but I looked and there's no one making any money. Only people making money were people that were already making money with Bitcoin and already had huge followings in cryptocurrency. There was no other areas of writing. I thought it'd be cool if you could write really great travel or blog stories or whatever, and turn that into revenue. 
but I checked it out and I actually spent a month and had an intern spend a month on it and we couldn't make a dollar with writing. The quality of your writing didn't matter. All of the categories were dead except for people who were writing about really advanced, I'll tell you right now, it was stuff I did not understand. So you have to be someone who really understands Bitcoin and writes really complicated stuff and knows the 50 other cryptocurrencies. Then you could be someone who makes money from this other site. That doesn't interest me. Why would I share that with you guys? There was a whole course about how to do it, but then I tried it out and it didn't work. I have no interest in sharing stuff that generates shiny object syndrome in you guys and my followers and leads nowhere. That's why I don't promote external stuff. I don't want to distract you. I feel bad enough that I have several different things you can learn how to do here. That's why over and over and over and over again, I say, don't buy a second course for me until you make money from the first one. All my courses work, so I don't care which one you buy first. Whichever one you buy first, you're going to make back the cost of that course as long as you do it. The only thing you need is implementation. You have the treasure map, just follow it. But I don't want you to buy six treasure maps. Try to be good about that. Try to be good about that idea. So when you have a lot of options, it's easy to want to do all the, hey, I'd love to learn Facebook ads. Why don't I learn Google ads? Why don't I go into CPA? Why don't I go into CPC? Why don't I go into CPI? Why don't I go into content marketing? I just want to do YouTube. You know what? YouTube's not working for me. Why don't I do Snapchat? Snapchat's not working. Why don't I go back to Twitter? And we jump, 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 jump. And the problem is we don't stay with anything long enough to monetize it. So we get stuck in a perpetual state of excitement, but not in a perpetual state of profit. That stinks. Number five, the fifth reason that people fail is we get horse blinders. We get to a point where we no longer listen to what the audience is saying especially. Now, if you want to ignore critics around you, like other people like, oh, that's a dumb invention or no one would want to go to that website. That's something you have to overcome at first because you do have to experiment. But there comes a point where the market itself is saying your idea is terrible. I saw someone with an invention recently for like hotel rooms. You were supposed to put it on the hotel room door as like a manual lock as an extra layer of security so that you would know no one could get in and hurt you. And then I watched this show where the guy was demoing it and some random guy walks up, like a, someone in the audience walks up and kicks the door right open. He's, but it takes him like two or three kicks. And he goes, see, <laughs> look how good this works. And it's like, wait, so your goal isn't to protect the person in the room. It's to give an extra five seconds to see the death that's coming their way. What can you do unless you're sleeping with a gun? If someone starts kicking in your door, you, it takes them two kicks to kick in the door and then they're in. That's not that much warning. That's certainly not enough warning to pick up the phone and call for help. Maybe you get pick up the phone and get to that first nine, but you're not going to get to the second one. Not helpful. So this person had an invention and it switched from protecting you in a hotel room to giving you a few seconds of extra warning. Totally different. But we get blinders and we go, no, this is a great invention, even though it doesn't do what you originally thought it was going to do. You keep changing. I've seen so many bad inventions. Here's another one. When I first started having success online, I used to go to a lot of networking events. Now, most people who are successful avoid networking events like the plague, but as you know, I'm an experimenter. So I went to one and there's 50 people in a room and so you make two lines of 25 and like speed dating, you go and you talk to all the 25 people on the other side. You just go, blah, 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 blah. And I remember, and basically most of these events, almost all these events, you get to meet 25 people in a row whose businesses are failing and are hoping they're gonna meet that one magic person who can save them before they got a business that week. There are always people there within a month of going out of business at these events. That's why no one who's succeeding wants to go because the stink of death is there and they're afraid it's contagious. And I remember someone who had invented a back scratcher slash spray tan machine. So it was like a stick, you hang it over your back and you can spray tan your back if they can't see it, which means obviously it's going to look more like a, more like a map because some parts will be darker, some parts will be lighter because you can't see what you're doing. <laughs> Terrible invention. 
I can't imagine if it's still around, but maybe it is. I saw another invention recently that actually, I wish I could remember who it was. It was someone from a reality TV show, but they invented a thing that it's basically a piece of wood you nail to the wall and you can rub your back on it like a bear. It's just, a, anyone can buy, you, I could go right now, there's like 50 trees in front of me. I could just chop one down and nail one to my wall. They don't, it's not anything special. It really is just a piece of wood, like a piece of firewood that you nail to the wall to scratch your back. It's not some dream invention. It's not something amazing, it's a terrible invention. They probably haven't sold one in five years. Sometimes you have a bad idea and no one wants to buy it. If your idea or your product gets exposed to an audience and the audience rejects it, that's a sign you have to do something. Do not stick with an idea that nobody wants to buy. If you then say, I just have to educate the market, I guarantee you'll fail. Anyone who says educate the market always fails. Whenever people talk about educating the market or inventing a new category, the odds of them failing are so high. Educating people is so expensive. Educating a market about a new product can cost like $50 million. Why? Why waste your time doing that? What a waste of money. I'd rather just take that $50 million and keep it. Retire. <laughs> Don't follow a bad idea. Don't throw good money after bad. This is a little different. Sometimes people think this is happening and they quit way, way, way too soon. Do not quit until you've released your product and it's seen an audience. That's when you can look at something and go, okay, the audience doesn't like it. That's different. If you're pre-release, if you haven't really invested in the idea, if you haven't really spent three or six months with it, don't quit too soon. The sixth reason that people fail, that people go out of business, that projects fail, is bad money management. Most people who are entrepreneurs, and this definitely includes me, are awful with their money management. I am really, really bad at tracking my expenses, at tracking where the money goes, knowing how much money is coming in in the next month. All of those areas are terrible for me. My area of strength is bringing money in. If you say to me, oh, you have to make this much money in this much time, I can always do that. I always hit that number. I'm very good at the in. I'm not good at the out. That's why I have a bookkeeper that handles all of that for me, keeps track of everything, handles all of that paperwork because it's an area of weakness for me. So I found someone who's an expert to kind of fill in that gap. But if you have money problems, it starts at the top. And there are some simple ways that people do bad money decisions. They buy a bunch of expensive courses or they invest in things that are too much, that have too high monthly fees. If you're just starting out, don't start taking on $100 a month fees. My hosting for my website starts out at $25 a month. You don't need that level. You can be at $3 a month and you're fine when you're first starting out. You don't need the best. You don't need to go straight to the Ferrari. Sometimes people just want the best of each service and they end up spending ten dollars or twenty or $30,000 before they're even at the phase where they might make profit. The first person I ever worked with, the first business partner I ever worked with, who eventually stole a great deal of money from me and then threatened to sue me a million times. And so I said, you know, let's just go to court because I kept all your emails and immediately changed his mind. All of that was because he did bad money management. He spent a bunch of money of his own money without my permission on dumb ideas. He spent $6,000 setting up a bank account so we could hide from some taxes. I was like, we got to make $100,000 for this decision to matter in the first month. He spent a huge amount of money setting up LLCs in other states. He's like, oh, we got to have an office in Las Vegas. We both lived on the East Coast. Then we have to have a bank. The bank he set us up with, there wasn't a branch within a thousand miles of either of us. So anytime we wanted, he wanted to go banking, he would have to drive eight hours in each direction to go to the bank. What a moron. Terrible financial decisions. To do the exact same thing now. Now he spent around, golly, like 20 or $25,000. Of that, at least 23 was a waste. And I, at the time, said, what are you doing? We don't need any of this fancy stuff. Why don't we release the product and see if anyone wants to buy it? 
before we start planning on how we're going to hide our winnings from the government. So he lost huge amounts of money. Then he wanted me, he wanted me to pay for his bad decisions. I said, I asked you not to do those things and you didn't do it with company money. You did it with your personal money. Why are you making terrible decisions? So of course, I'm not liable for decisions he made without my permission against me. I said to him, don't spend money on that. And then later on, he wanted me to pay for it. I said, but I told you not to do it. So I was very fortunate that I escaped that relationship, even though eventually he did steal a bunch of my work and sell it and claim it was his, whatever. I don't care anymore, but it did happen to me. And what I learned is that people who are bad at money never get better. His same problems still repeat himself in this person's business. Bad money management will always crush you. I try to teach you good principles. That's the reason that I am not into startups. I'm not into spending huge amounts of money up front. The one time I tried to get involved in a project that way, it didn't work. It's much better to start and launch a business for $1,000 and then make that back, then do a $5,000, then do a $10,000, then to jump straight to a $50,000 spend. The final, the seventh reason that most people fail, that most people do not stay the course is they're just looking for an excuse to quit. Most people don't actually want to change their lives. Most people just want to catch a glimpse. They see one of my courses or reading one of my books as a bit of a vacation, but not something that they actually implement. A long time ago, I bought, at the time, a very hot book about quitting your job and starting your own business and making money online at the bookstore. And as I was buying it, and the girl working behind the counter was like, oh, that book's really good. Now, that's the same way, she looked at the book the same way that I look at science fiction books. I don't expect a science fiction book to change my life. I expect to entertain me. And I could tell, I'm like, she's still working here at this bookstore. Obviously, she didn't implement anything from the book, right? She's not trying to do anything from the book. She read it as a, um, like a piece of motivational fiction, and that's totally fine. She enjoyed the book, no problem. And I said to her, though, how many people who read this book do you think are actually implementing the promise, who are actually now making money for themselves and now their own bosses? And she goes, probably 1% at most. Most people don't finish the book, and certainly most people don't implement it. And the reason that is, we look for a reason to not do it. And the first reason we go, oh, this is just a bit of entertainment or this worked for them and it wouldn't work for me. We're looking for any reason to make it entertainment and not an obligation because then we don't have to feel bad when we quit because we were never going to quit. We read the book as a joke, not because we really wanted it. We're looking for any reason to quit when, as soon as we find one, we do. We want to say, oh, it didn't work for me or something's changed. I was just doing something on Facebook ads. They'd done a redesign. They moved where one of the buttons was and it took me five extra minutes to find it. And I was like, I bet people say that's a reason, you know what, it doesn't work. They've changed the redesign. This course doesn't work anymore. LinkedIn just changed their whole design. Same thing. You can go, oh, this training course that I just bought doesn't work anymore because there's been a site redesigned. So the buttons are in new places. It's garbage now. No longer works. I get to quit. We can find the smallest of excuses to quit. We're looking for any reason to quit. We're looking for any reason to quit. They're looking for any obstacle, any Thing they could point to and say, oh, this doesn't work because that. This doesn't work because he's left-handed, I'm right-handed. That won't work for me. What's really fascinating to me is how we do it in fitness. So you'll watch this exercise program. You go, oh, that would never work for me. That guy's 60. I'm only 40. This program won't work for me. I'm too young. I've heard that. And that's amazing to me. There's one thing you should never discount is the amazing human ability to find reasons to quit. We find these amazing, irrational reasons and someone will go, oh, wow, that's so crazy. What an irrational reason. But if you really look at it and if you look, oh, this person was always looking for a reason to quit. And that's most people. I was in a talk last week with someone who I just hired to, again, provide me a level of coaching and mentorship, help me improve another area of my business. And we we're talking about how many coaching students succeed and fail. And he was like, oh, I'm always 
implementing all these different things to try and force people to take action because I have to make them yada yada, I have to make people succeed. And I said, look, man, I get that. You can't change who people are. There are always going to be people who are looking for an excuse to quit and you'll never have the power to change them. You can do everything you want. I've tried every technique you could ever think of to get every person to succeed. I've tried them all. And I just accept that a huge number of people who listen to me will still quit. It's just inevitable. Some of my favorite people, three, five, six months ago to email back and forth with people who are doing cool stuff or trying different things, they just disappeared. At a certain point, they didn't hit the success as fast as they wanted. And then they just stopped trying to do it or they got distracted or that initial excitement, like the first time you read Server Master, man, it's so exciting, right? You read this exciting book and there's all these possibilities and it gets you really pumped up, but it's hard to get that energy to last a long time. You have to move energy into implementation very quickly or the energy fades. So we have this excitement. We're really stoked to try something. We can't wait to try something really great. And then that energy starts to get smaller, smaller, and smaller. And then we start looking for an excuse. And ideally, and I, I know a lot of people do this and it stinks, but it's true. A lot of people will then blame me. I had someone recently who I was working with just stop responding to my messages. I was sending them Skype messages and emails. Hey, where are you? Let's keep working. I want to work on this. I want to make this happen. Let me help you with this. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me be available to you. Didn't respond to any of my messages and then sent me an email to my support email, not realizing that I checked support as well, saying, Jonathan didn't answer my last question. I want out. I want to quit. For a second, it hurt my feelings. I was like, what question did I miss? Did I miss an email? I started searching my email. I started searching my Skype messages and I see Skype, the last 10 messages from me to her saying, hey, what are, are you ready for the next step? Where are you? What happened? No reply. I even replied to the support request. I said, hey, no problem. Cancel. Always going to do that. I'm never going to you know, make you do something you don't want to do. Cancel. Just tell me what question did I fail to answer? Where did I leave you down? Guess what? No reply. The excuse was just an excuse. It wasn't even true. It could, there's a million reasons. It could have been she was just really, really busy. Something happened at work. She couldn't afford the whatever. It doesn't matter. But we look for excuses to justify quitting or justify giving up. And once you get into that phase, then the failure of the quitting becomes inevitable. So you have to stop yourself when you feel that temptation. When you are looking for an excuse to quit, what I want you to do instead is go, wait a minute. This is the moment where most people quit. And that is your opportunity. I'm going to share with you one final story that kind of blo- it's kind of blowing my mind right now because it never happened before. As you know, I mentioned in my books and sometimes I talk about interns. And right now I don't have any interns. Uh, the last cycle of interns kind of uh, petered out for different reasons. They are on to their next projects, which is fine. They're growing in their different businesses in different ways. I got an email from someone who said, hey, I'd really like to intern with you. Would you talk to me on Skype? Cold email to me. I said, oh, that's interesting. I started talking to the person on Skype. After five minutes, he goes, look, this sounds awesome. I'd love to do it. Can I intern with you face-to-face? And I said, what? (laughs) What do you mean? Everyone interns over Skype. No one's face-to-face. I live in the middle of nowhere. But this is a person who sees implementation as critical. He's already put together when he's going to fly out here. He's already looking for a place to stay. He's already bought a plane ticket to come to where where I live. How crazy is that? Doesn't that sound crazy? It's someone who sees the fact that I live in the middle of nowhere as an opportunity because no one else can get here. He is seizing the moment and taking action. Now, obviously, I don't know how the story's going to end because the story's just started, but he's already taking levels of action that I find very impressive and very interesting. And he would be coming here even sooner, except for I'm going traveling right now. So I'm going to be actually be away for the next three weeks for work stuff. Don't worry. I'm still going to be blasting out these podcast episodes. 
So hopefully that one story inspires you, that shows you that you can actually take serious action and do things other people don't think of doing or aren't willing to do, and it can separate you from the crowd. Don't get caught up in these seven reasons for failure. Don't become a statistic. Instead, join me and become another adventurer who serves no master. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back tomorrow with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Serve No Master podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that together we can achieve true freedom.